Tom Cruise, are you ready for me to sign my contract? Answer me this, answer me this. Shall we get shit faced on vanilla extract? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Hello listeners and welcome to episode 222 of Answer Me This, which is a third of the number of the beast. Uh, and reflective of what we should have got in our degrees, but somehow <laughs> we managed to get two ones. So two well two done twos, us. well done. I didn't get two one, I got a first. Well you're cleverer than us. Yeah. It also gives me some satisfaction that it sounds like episode toot toot toot. And also Desmond Tutu. Do you think Desmond Tutu and his brother, if he has one, were ever referred to as the Tutu? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry to kick off the episode in um, somewhat of a melancholy way, but we've had a, a, a very uh, heartfelt reaction to um, what we said last week in response to Chris from Manchester's question about whether he should tell his friend that his friend's potential wife is, is a, a bitch. bitch. <laughs> and we said, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. You were very clear on this point, Ollie. Mm, I remember yeah. your position was extreme. Ian uh, tweeted in response and he said, I did this as best man and lost the best friend I've ever had. His name is Malcolm and it might help him to see how sorry I am if you mention it. He's never forgiven me in eight years and I still miss him, but it hurt him too much because I was over the top in the way I told him. So Malcolm's your old best friend, Ian. So in a way, could you call him your Malcolm X? What's the matter with you today? <laughs> uh, we've had a very different perspective on this from Barbara from Luxembourg, though, uh, mm. who says, My friend was in a relationship with a girl for a number of years, and a lot of people were not a big fan of hers. She was bossy and often denigrated my friend quite aggressively in front of other people. Early on in the relationship, we found that she cheated on him all the time. Oh. Uh, he found out about some of these occurrences, but decided to forgive her and marry her anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I was invited to the wedding, but told him on a drunken night out uh, that I didn't want to go on principle. Surprisingly, he agreed with me at the time, and we remained friends. Wow. I bet he had to make up a pretty elaborate excuse to the girlfriend as to why you weren't going, though. I bet, mm. I bet you didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, Barbara can't come because uh, she's discovered you're a massive slapper. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Barbara continues. A year or so after getting married, he found out that she'd been cheating on him again, and they both decided to divorce. Why did this girl decide to get married? Doesn't sound like she was really into it. People want their cake and to eat it. They could have a cake that's not a wedding cake. Yeah, bloody cheaper as well, They could it? even buy three cakes and stack them on top of each other and just eat them. For the price of a wedding cake, they could buy 3,000 Battenbergs. What a treat that would be. Um, he was obviously distraught about the situation, says Barbara. However, he thanked me and another friend for our honesty. After the breakup, he found that loads of people said things like, well, we never liked her anyway, and he was a bit disappointed by the hypocrisy and was grateful that there had been people who, although supported him, were honest throughout most of the relationship. It's not necessarily hypocritical to be polite. Yeah. Well, are all white lies hypocritical or are they there to save someone's feelings? Well, that's the point yeah. of them, isn't it? It's not hypocrisy. It's just being nice. But sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind, I suppose. Although that is contrary to our advice. We think it's always better to, to be kind, to be cruel. Short-term kindness, long-term cruelty. <laughs> I think uh, really the, the main solution would be to make all these women be nicer and then there wouldn't be this problem. Pay for some therapy. For all women. Compulsory therapy <laughs> on the NHS. Just, just the bad women. I was thinking about this the other day. Has any state ever said everyone has to have compulsory therapy? I think New York. <laughs> That's not state healthcare, though, is it, crucially? Mm. Imagine if the state said you have, to, you have to have an excuse from your doctor as to why you don't want therapy, but you have to have a therapy session every six months just to check how you are, check on any long-term conditions, things that might affect you in the future. That is a very interesting idea. Because mm. it seems to me that would cut down the NHS bill in the long term. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because you're dealing with anxieties without drugs, that kind of thing. I'd have to get a doctor's note to get me out of that because I feel that if I ever became self-aware, I'd kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which obviously is uh, not the desired intent of most psychotherapies. You have that in common with a spaceship from Darkstar. Do I? Now I know why you like me, Martin. Here's a question that I think you'll find very easy to answer from oh, yeah. Adam, who says, I thoroughly enjoyed the Answer Me This Jubilee album. God bless you, sir. Please make another one. Maybe about the Olympics. Hint, hint. Well, Adam, your wish is our command. <laughs> because uh, now, available now on our website, answermethispodcast.com slash sportsday, you can find exactly the album of your dreams, Adam. All new one hour album of brand new material about sport. New Yay. jingles and everything. You're thinking, listeners. You guys talking about sport? What have you become? We just we thought what sport was really lacking was our expert commentary. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. The <laughs> trouble is that generally the people who talk about sport are too reverential towards it mm. and they're too interested in it. We don't have that problem. No, and we took a very broad canvas of what sport might mean. Does it include um, gymnast erections? It does in our yes, album. Yes, it can. That's does pole it, vaulting, isn't it? Does it include the problem of getting rid of uh, things that your grandma gave you? It does, yeah. It's somewhat of a sport. Like, say, if your grandma had given you a javelin. Yeah. <laughs> so, all that's in there. Yeah. There is some stuff which is sport, but not really sport. Well, like golf. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And hopefully, uh, much like with our Jubilee album, if you like our podcast ordinarily, you will like our shtick on this album. We couldn't actually call the album the Answer Me This Olympics, because... Apparently, the Olympics committee is a little bit overprotective about them being the only Olympics in town and they probably thought if we called it the Answer Me This Olympics... People may well confuse an Answer Me This Olympic album for the Muse single, which is the official <laughs> Olympic title. Yeah, You've got to be very careful, haven't you? You can't tell what's endorsed. Yeah, because our album is an hour long and their singles do tend to run long. It feels they... like an hour, doesn't it? Have you heard it? Uh, I haven't heard it. It, but it I have is heard... the most impressive phoned-in single I've ever heard. Well, I've heard Muse before, so I imagine it's... Uh... Imagine a Muse. great departure from their usual work. Imagine it's Muse, but one of your uh, nieces had written the lyrics. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Helen, come and look at my Lego. No, really look at it. Is that how it goes? It, it, that would be a blessed relief. Uh, here's a question now from Andy, who says, I live in Norway and often go to cabins at the weekend with some friends for some fishing, a few games of poker, and just to catch up on the banter. And a circle jerk. I was just thinking that. I literally was just thinking that. <laughs> I think we all know what you're up to, Andy. Uh, it sounds quite idyllic, I think, the portrait oh, it sounds painting. lovely. I love cabins. I'm a bit weirdly obsessed with cabins and beds made of logs. Uh, actually, I went to a Norwegian cabin in January, um, and it is really nice, but you have to really, really like the people that you're with in January because there's only five hours of daylight and 19 hours of sitting around doing the things that he's describing. It sounds like my kind of place. Uh, anyway, he continues. Mm. As I've been playing guitar for about eight years now... No, oh, your fingers must hurt. I usually take it along with me on these trips. And after a few beers, we all have a bit of campfire-style sing-along to some great tunes. Mm -hmm. But recently, however, a friend from uni who I actually can't stand has been learning guitar. Oh, what a dick. <laughs> you saw the guitar first. <laughs> and now takes every opportunity to pick up the guitar and play. Uh, this wouldn't be so bad, says Andy, except that he's fucking awful, okay. having no sense of rhythm and can't sing for shit. Well, we all had to start somewhere. <laughs> Something all the more embarrassing when he suddenly starts playing the Jeff Buckley version of Hallelujah oh. and massacres it. That's not a song you should take on unless you're incredibly confident. Maybe he's not singing the Jeff Buckley version. Maybe he's covering the JLS version. <laughs> 
Did JLS do it? Well, yeah, because it was the X Factor oh, winner single and they were the runners-up, so they recorded a version. When Leonard Cohen wrote it, he thought, what I dream of is JLS <laughs> one day doing this song justice. <laughs> what he thought is, my voice is a bit gravelly in this part, but when Ashton sings it... Uh, anyway, uh, Andy continues. I understand that everyone has to learn somewhere, but he plays and sings like he thinks he's fucking awesome. Dance like nobody's watching. Actually, isn't that, though, quite a crucial part of learning guitar? I mean, at some point, everyone is rubbish and does have to develop rock star swagger. I think the first stage to learning to sing is losing your self-consciousness yeah mm. so Helen answer me this how can I stop the little twat from doing this as it's really rude annoying and he's totally shit set his guitar on fire yeah snip his guitar strings mid strum that would send a powerful message <laughs> wouldn't it you might lose an eye as well he's probably bought spares or mm. he'll just start doing a cappella work well, Andy says the best thing I can think of is to film him on my phone and then post it to YouTube, send him the link and then maybe he'll feel embarrassed himself and stop it no because he might look at that and think wow Andy thought that was good enough to post on YouTube. Yeah. I'm really getting somewhere. And what if thousands of people watch it and love it? Then it's going to make your problem worse than ever, Andy. But this is very, very annoying. I remember when Martin and I were at a wedding a few years ago, which had a <laughs> campfire. And um, several of us had played sets at the wedding. They'd asked us to do the music. There was a guy called Guitar Dave who played a really long set. So we went on late. Uh, but anyway, we went out the campfire afterwards. Guitar Dave got out his guitar and started singing again despite having sung for hours at the uh, reception we thought well he could take it in turn so martin started playing and guitar dave instead of sitting and listening patiently like we had when he'd been singing just started playing over martin playing a completely different song <laughs> so it was a weirdly passive aggressive move well, from a campfire guitarist the thing is i was playing exit music for a film which starts off really quietly and ends really really loudly so i carried on playing and at the point where it got really loud i completely drowned him out and it was really wonderful <laughs> so you could do that Andy you could just start playing over him but maybe entertain the notion that he's started doing this because he finds your guitar playing and your choice of songs undesirable and a bit of an intrusion so maybe he's doing yeah. it to stop you maybe he's the Martin in this situation actually yeah. and you're the one who's just been playing blindly assuming that everyone loves what you're doing yeah there is a thing isn't there though when you're the musician when that's your thing like I'm the guy that goes to the party and plays the guitar and shows off my skills and someone else starts doing Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's stepping on your toes a little bit. It's like when someone else goes to a party that I'm at and eats all the cheese. (laughs) That's my role. I've got the question. Then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 question from sam and amy in west norwood who say we often catch the train back home to west norwood through battersea passing by its semi-ruined power station europe's largest brick building fact fans wow Is it? yeah it's clearly an awesome building that must be listed against alteration or demolition grade two listed but it's also prime real estate correct and must be potentially worth a packet there must have been attempts to turn it into a hotel, apartments, or a public building like the Tate Modern. Why do I feel like Sam and Amy are doing all my work for me with this question? But well, they're very generous. <laughs> yes to everything so far, they what know, of it? They know you get tired. <laughs> so, Ollie, answer me this. Why has nobody so far managed to refurbish Battersea Power Station? 
It's the bureaucracy of it, really. Oh. Uh, the fact that it's grade two listed does make it rather complicated. Yeah, because they've essentially hollowed out the inside. There have been four separate private development proposals to regenerate Battersea. They were going to put in like an indoor skiing centre or some shit. Well, all of them have involved leisure shops and flats, basically. That's, that's all um, you need, isn't it? Yeah, but... They're all Ollie Mann centres of the future. <laughs> and a bit of Disney in the, uh, in the turrets. Well, you say that. Oh. The reason the roof came off was because uh, private developer number one was the bloke who had developed Alton Towers uh. and wanted to turn Battersea into a theme park. Wow. And actually they took the roof off to get all of the heavy machinery out so they could basically put roller coasters in. Oh, and then what went wrong? The budget went up from something like they planned 25 million and it went to something like 120 million. Mm. And well, they were like, oh, actually, we haven't got that money, sorry. Bassey and and now you haven't got a roof. <laughs> Bassey did come up in those years, didn't it? So, you know, property prices. The most recent one was an Irish property firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, clues in the title there. Irish property firms not been doing so well recently. Uh-huh. Uh, so they've had to back out basically because they haven't got the capital anymore what, that they said they'd have. What were they planning to stick in it? Same sort of thing, flats, flats restaurants, shops, cinema, branch of giraffe. Honestly, <laughs> what, isn't it boring when they redevelop something just by putting a branch of giraffe in? I mean, giraffe, it's a better quality burger than Burger King, it's, but it's nothing to write home about, I is had it? a very nice plate of mezzi there in it's Heathrow fine. Terminal 5 in March. <laughs> it's fine. But it's really upsetting when you go to, say, Spitalfields Market in London and it looks like Heathrow Terminal 5. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It used to be such a characterful building. But I do quite like the idea of this theme park because it was going to be themed around Britain's industrial past. Oh, oh really? So I quite like the idea of like a mining roller coaster with the voice of Neil Kinnock or something. <laughs> That'd be quite a cool idea for a theme park. I like the idea of the Black Country Living Museum that was <laughs> yes. a bit less boring. Yeah, exactly. But the latest proposal that was actually quite cool uh, before they decided to award it to some Malaysian property developers who have currently got their hands on it. Oh, what are they going to do with the flats? Flat flats, shops, restaurants, multiplex. bunch of giraffe. Um, the coolest proposal recently was Chelsea Football Club wanted it as a stadium. As an iconic football stadium, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yes. The thing about it is that there aren't that many convenient transport links to it yet. Well, no, this is the cool thing. Uh, this genuinely is cool. They've now changed it so that it, the, the, this company, this Malaysian company that say they're going to build it and are spending £400 million. Oh, they're going to put in a tube line from Malaysia to it with zero <laughs> stops. They're going to put in a new underground station, yeah. That in itself is going to cost £250 million to Ooh, develop. Shit so that's a huge hell. part of the budget. So you have to really be serious about wanting to change it. Which is why it's never going to happen and why it will always be an empty shell of a building our entire lives. Did you know uh, that it was designed by uh, Sir Giles Gilbert Scott who also created the uh, red telephone box. I did not know that. That's it's, a very good fact. And also Bankside, which became Tate Modern. And, that's three uh, iconic things yeah. that he did. And now he's got a restaurant named after him in St Pancras. Right, right, yes, which I've been to and had uh, some animal offal in. Super. What a tribute. That's, that's all he wanted. He thought, maybe if I do really, really well at putting up these very giant industrial edifices someday... Mm. A young Jewish man from North London will be able to eat offal in a place that bears my name. <laughs> Just around the corner from where the Spice Girls film Wannabe. <laughs> uh, this is Brian in Brighton. Um, you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm not actually from around here originally. I'm from Manchester. Um, and I was wondering, how Nolly, answer me this. How did Brighton become the place in the UK for all sorts of freaks and misfits to gather because I've just it's seven in the morning on a Saturday and I'm walking to Asda by the beach and I've just seen a chap playing 70s disco tunes on a saxophone as well as all sorts of crazy people barbecuing on the beach while drinking special brew it is reassuring though in a way isn't it when places 
conform to stereotype. When you go to Brighton, you want to see a few wackos walking around. Yeah, Just so- like in Camden, you want to see emos and goths. You turn a blind eye to the fact that Alan Bennett lives there because you think, <laughs> yeah, goth theme park, and that is overwhelmingly what you can see if you choose to look at that. You see what you want to see. Exactly. You don't see all the people going about their business. Yeah. I suppose once a place uh, becomes welcoming to oddments, then uh, more oddments will go there and then it will become renowned for them so you let yeah. that chink and they blow it a mile wide yes it's that's, the crack window syndrome isn't it that's not i'm not trying to do a metaphor for immigration i'm the daughter of an immigrant mm. brighton though has had a lot of ups and downs in its history uh, but the thing that really put it on the map as a destination like a touristy destination for fun was um a man called dr richard russell uh, he arrived there in 1750 when brighton had been a bit down because it'd been destroyed by storms earlier in the century and uh, he started propagating the seawater cure because before that people did not go into the sea to mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you say that. I bet, I bet people did in the West Indies. They just didn't yeah. in Brighton because yeah. it's bloody freezing and there's a pebble beach. Yeah. He was an advocate of uh, using seawater within and without to cure yourself. And uh, the seawater cure consisted of seawater, obviously, mm-hmm. with the following additives. Bicarbonate of soda, milk, yep. <laughs> wood lice, <laughs> what? cuttlefish bones, mm-hmm. and crab's eyes. Brilliant. Well, wh- <laughs> You're cured! Wow. <laughs> That's just a sort of early example of branding an energy drink, isn't it, really? Yes. I mean, you know, you've got a secret blend of vegetable extracts. Exactly, it's a crab's eye, same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, as long as it's got the seawater in it, yeah. seawater cure. And there are waste products, aren't they? You're not doing anything with those crab's eyes, are you? No, I'm chucking them up. <laughs> Can I have them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is how yeah. enterprises <laughs> get born. Up, wouldn't yeah. they, if you did that? And then the, the really major turning point was when George IV chose Brighton as the place for his weekend shagging shaggings yeah. uh-huh. so he built well he eventually built the Brighton Pavilion but he had a little cottage first uh, and so mm. once the royals decide to do something as with the Middletons and wearing transparent tights <laughs> it becomes popular so then you know the upper classes started going to Brighton uh, especially once they opened the London to Brighton railway line in 1841 yeah. it got this reputation of being this kind of holidayish place and also maybe where anything went and so that meant that mm. you know it was probably quite a good place for gay people to go when they were illegal because you know if you're in a place where people went to have affairs and particularly people who were trying to get divorces they would be seen in Brighton with a prostitute so that their partner could make the divorce claim against them so it was difficult oh, to get a divorce yeah. that was popular in novels in the 1930s like Handful of Dust by Evelyn Waugh although just to clarify it wasn't gay men who were illegal no, it was sorry. the act of homosexual sex I inserted too big a parenthesis into that <laughs> sentence but anyway if you're in a place like that where people turn a blind eye to lots of things and being gay is illegal it's probably quite a good place to be gay rather than a place where everyone is very staid mm. and proper and you're not allowed to do anything Slightly depressingly, though, Brighton is another of those places that's done exactly what we were just talking about. Brighton Marina redeveloped. Oh, Café Rouge, branch of Giraffe. Yeah. Big fucking deal. <laughs> cool Marina. And like, you know, the Café Rouge has an excellent view. Don't get me wrong. Oh, undoubtedly. But it is a Café Rouge. Mm. And yeah, I've got one of those where I live. I'll tell you the bit that you're missing as well from the history of Brighton that's made it an attractive place. Uh, it was the uh, Linda LaPlante miniseries Killer Net, which oh. uh, Teenage Ollie Man watched in 1998. Oh, Christ, Did you see that? It? That was a... <laughs> a very good uh, web 1.0 mystery yeah pretty much a plot plucked out of the pages of the mail on sunday uh, it was a sort of paranoid conspiracy thriller about uh, the internet but the early days of early web forums and stuff yeah and it was easy because people who would watch that kind of show had probably never been on the internet so you could say whatever you liked about it and about the kind of people that would kill people on it well to be honest even if you'd been to the sort of more exciting corners of the internet it was all on dial up so you had to wait a while for your content to load and it is possible that in that time you may have plotted a series of murders and how did that 
influence uh, Brighton in its uh, historical development? Because it was set amongst a group of trendy young students. Um, uh, yeah. I can't remember the name of the bloke, but Emily Woof was one of the Emily, uh, ladies. Emily Woof. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it Woof or Woof? Woof. <laughs> Emily Woof uh, was one of them. She's a lovely lady. She is, yeah. Like I say, it was a very strong influence on the Teenage Early Man. I haven't seen it since then. I remember it pretty well. Jason Orange was in it as well. Oh, yes. That was his big breaking up from Take That yeah, job. Yeah. You met Emily Woof at a party a couple of years ago. Did you mention to her the fact that you'd seen Killernet and it had been a major influence on the young Ollie Man? Was it a formative sexual experience? <laughs> um, no and yes. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, 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 the, the background of Brighton that permeated the whole series, I was like, yeah. I want to I go and be a student there because was, it was mm. the time I was applying for university. Oh, we and never would have met. No. Well, if the pull of killer net had been just slightly stronger, this, none, none, of this, none of this would be happening. <laughs> if I'd have chosen to watch ITV <laughs> instead of Channel 4 with um, Emily Wolf and me. And beaten off. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so if, if it weren't for Linda LaPlante, this podcast wouldn't happen. Thanks, well, no, no, because actually on, on all two or three, I can't remember how many times I applied for university, but anyway, on all two or three of my UCAS forms, mm. I included... Sussex. And you uh, said, I want to go here because of Killernet. Yeah. <laughs> and surprisingly, they rejected me. Ugh. So I never had the option to go there. So Linda LaPlante or no, I still would have ended up going to university. They, they saw your form and they're like, oh, chuck it in the pile with all the other Killernet fanatics. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you put in your personal statement is, I love Killernet. <laughs> and in Oxford, that was probably seen as quite avant garde. <laughs> Shh, it's the question line. It's the question line. Oh, two, oh, eight, one, two, three, five, eight, double, seven. Answer me this. Shh, answer me this. I don't know nothing. It's such a palaver. It's a question line. It's a question line. Oh, two, oh, eight, one, two, three. I wouldn't normally do this, listeners, but I just need to warn you that we're about to hear a call from the phone line that some of you may find distressing. So if you're eating something, <laughs> finish the mouthful. If you're driving, pull over and brace yourselves. Hi, Howard and Ollie. This is Ollie from Bristol. I'm sat here with my friend Katie, who knows a friend whose anus popped off during childbirth. Now, as in completely left, like completely left the, the bottom and was described to look like a calamari. How will I answer me this? That can't be fucking possible, can it? I really, 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 really hope not. <laughs> God, about pregnancy and childbirth sounds god awful. I didn't realise you're in danger of losing your anus as well, along with everything else. And I really wish we hadn't had squid for dinner. <laughs> I gained a child, but I lost my anus. <laughs> So, <laughs> use an elastic band to keep myself together. I'm pleased to say that Helen has done the research that I was, that even I was too afraid to do. I'm afraid I could only do a small amount of research because I was trying not to bulk everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I could not find any evidence of anuses actually detaching 
and plopping onto the floor independent of the body because I think it would take even more force than the force of a child being wrenched from your body. It's pretty rigorously to... stitched in, isn't it, the anus? Yeah, it's, it's quite it, well integrated yeah. with your flesh. But I think prolapse, I believe rectal prolapse, mm. is a not uncommon side effect of birth. <laughs> and therefore... Count me outs. <laughs> this line stops here. <laughs> Here's a question from Laura from Gloucester who says, uh, Helen, answer me this. Which way round are you supposed to put the jam and clotted cream on scones? And by the way, you'll notice that I said scones because that's how you say scones and we're not having that debate. Thank you very much. No, we've had that before on this podcast. And it's tedious. Yeah. Not as tedious as this, but <laughs> it's a dry week. Uh, Laura continues. I always spread the cream on first, then put a blob of jam on top. Like you would if you were spreading butter and jam on a slice of toast. Yes, thank you. We understand how the process works. I think she means, though, I I do it in that order because the cream is analogous to the butter in that scenario, which is how I've always seen it as well, Laura. Yes. And, well, we're going to discuss this at length in a minute. I don't want to shoot my jammy load all over the question. Oh, your creamy load. Um, But my two housemates (laughs) feel the opposite way round is correct. Oh, civil war. They like to shoot their creamy load second. On top. And uh, they, says Laura, become deeply offended when I try to convince them otherwise. It's because it's not important. (laughs) (laughs) I've just Googled some pictures of scones. Really? (laughs) Can we we please swap search histories because I would kill for yours? I don't know if uh, you've been to Gloucester, Ollie, but apparently there's not much to do after 5 Uh, And this hasn't helped, as both methods are shown equally. Yeah, you see, the world is ready for both types of scone eater to be out in the open. Ollie and I, a couple of years ago, met a man who one would consider to be a bit of an authority on this because he was the head of a clotted cream dynasty in Cornwall. Yes. Uh, uh, he really knew his shit. He really, really it wasn't knew. clear what else he knew, but he certainly <laughs> knew lots about clotted cream. The Cornish and the Devonians, they're constantly at war. You know, the border mm. there, it's its like Helmand province. Mm. Like the Lilliputians and their neighbours. The little enders and the big enders. <laughs> none, none, of, none of them have got anything on Cornwall and Devon when it comes to scone topping order. Yeah. So he sat us down and he told us at length <laughs> that in Cornwall, we put the jam on, then the cream, because why would you want to cover up the good cream with the jam? <laughs> in, in Devon... They put the cream on first, then the jam. And then he paused, and then he looked up at us and he said, because their cream's so bad, they want to cover it in jam! (laughs) And that was supposed to be a joke, and it was very difficult to know what to do, really. But ever since then, I've gone for the cream, then the jam, out of defiance. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I would also suggest that you want the most flavoursome ingredient on top because if you're sandwiching it between the blandness of a scone and the blandness of cream then it's not really going to go on your taste buds much and you might have to eat more to feel satisfied well i disagree i think <gasps> why didn't you tell us before we were married martin well, like, <laughs> scones are really crumbly yeah i i would argue it's it's easier to layer smooth cream directly onto the scone and then the jam on top of that than try and spread jam and break up your scone and right. lose, get crumbs everywhere the, the, the thing is you know to use a sexual analogy oh no both <laughs> both jam and cream are tops aren't they <laughs> I know that they're sometimes found in the middle, but neither are bottoms. As this questionnaire points out, you have jam on the top on bread, but very often you have cream on top on a cake. And so you're used to both flavours on the roof of your mouth. Live and let live. 
Or if you're going for afternoon tea, just don't have the scones because yeah. they're the worst bit. Worst. Have seconds on the sandwiches. Yeah. And or then, thirds. Well, you want to have the sandwiches, then the cakes, then return to the sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> I think that's right, yeah. Because you want to still be hungry a bit when you have the cake. I mean, people go for fancy tea because they think it's fun, but actually you've got to be very, very pragmatic Absolutely. in your choices. <laughs> you've got to be quite militaristic, actually, about yeah. getting the job done. Ollie Man is somewhat of an expert in his field. I went for two afternoon teas last week. Bloody did, oh because you have the best life ever. Yeah. I'm going to rename myself Algernon. On the subject of sugar highs, yes. uh, may I just take this opportunity to say thank you very much for the consignment of fudge that we received from uh, from the listeners who work at Rowley's Fudge. Yeah. We have fudge technicians listening to the podcast. Isn't that wonderful? We have packed so much fudge into this flat, listeners. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. We each got a, a separate parcel of fudge. And Peter, who sent the parcels to us, said... I've taken a guess as to who would like what flavour, and I'd be interested to know if I have guessed correctly. So uh, let's see if Peter managed to gauge our personalities through the medium of fudge flavours. <laughs> Sorry to say, Peter, I don't want to complain. He sent me vanilla. What are you trying to say about me? <laughs> see, I like vanilla. But I think he's trying to say I have no personality. Whereas Martin <laughs> gets all the jazzy fudges. He got lemon meringue fudge. That was nice. Whiskey and ginger, because he's a bit spicy. Mm. Rum and raisin. Now, rum and raisin's my favourite. That was a really good choice. Thank you. I didn't know you got rum and raisin. Now I'm pissed off, because I don't even like fudge. <laughs> but, but rum and raisin is my favourite flavour of anything. Even mayonnaise. I'm curious whether you would have liked the ones that he sent me then, Martin, because I got mm. Maltesers, Baileys and coffee. The one on your website, though, Peter, that I was interested in was Cherry Bakewell. And he I'm, didn't send it to anyone. I'm not saying send us more fudge, but... <laughs> I think we've got enough fudge. Yeah, we have got enough fudge. <laughs> it's a fudging lot of fudge, all right. <laughs> it is. But we should say, listeners, by the way, if you want to try this delicious fudge, and I can say it's delicious even though I don't like fudge, I can see it is quantifiably delicious fudge <laughs> against other fudges. Martha's just laughing because we've said fudge so much. <laughs> Stop saying the word fudge. Fudge, 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 fudge. fudge. Um, anyway, if you want to order this, you should go to rollysfudge.co.uk. Yeah, they're not sponsoring us. No. They just like the show. They, they just sent us, us some a load free of fudge. fudge. That's all you need. We're feeling... Major corporates, are you listening? All we want is some free sweets. <laughs> and then you can have your website read out on the show. Sugar makes us grateful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for this week's Answer Me This. Except it's not it, of course, if you want to hear another hour of us talking that you've never heard before. As we said before, get our album Sports Day and also there's another hour of us talking that you've never heard before because we were invited on the Getting Better Acquainted podcast by Dave Pickering which is a really great podcast in which he interviews people in order to get better acquainted with them and he decided he wanted to get better acquainted with us and boy did he regret it <laughs> uh, but anyway yeah we'll put that up on our website but uh, you can get it direct from his as well gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk but if yeah. you don't know how to spell acquainted just find it on our website uh, <laughs> answermethispodcast.com where you can also find as we said before uh, a big banner with Answer Me This Sports Day written on it that is the link to the album please buy it and I hope you enjoy it and if you do enjoy it rate it on iTunes and tell people and if you don't enjoy it shut up keep your mouth shut yeah. no one's interested in your views you scrote stick some fudge in your mouth and enjoy yourself <laughs> and we'll see you next week bye, bye.